0: Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Friday, December 4th. In today's news, the final draft of a bipartisan defense bill includes several rebukes of President Trump. Tensions flare along Trump's border wall amid mounting local resistance. And a family in Arkansas got a racist note after putting up a Black Santa. Then something magical happened. But first, the big idea. Emily Allen is a registered nurse at St. Joe's Hospital in St. Paul, Minnesota, where the night shift has become a revolving door of increasingly sick COVID patients. Emily says every single shift is now overwhelming and it never shuts off. She says they can't get beds cleaned fast enough by the time they have another COVID patient coming in. On the night shift, They've got two doctors for 50 patients on ventilators, often having three or more of them crashing at the same time. This is a split-screen moment in America. Progress on vaccines means people can plausibly now talk about what they're going to do when the pandemic is over. But it's not over, and it won't be over for a while. New infections yesterday topped 212,000, another daily record, topping the previous record, that was set on Wednesday. To date, at least 275,000 of our fellow Americans have died of the virus, a toll that includes more than 2,700 deaths reported yesterday. A new National Ensemble forecast, an aggregation of 37 models sent to the CDC, projects that between 9,500 and 19,500 Americans will die of covid during the week of Christmas. The fall wave of infections that began in September in the upper Midwest and the Northern Great Plains is now crashing across the country, including in the highest population centers of California and the Northeast, especially New York City. Doctors and nurses are pleading with governors for action. So far, they're not getting much of it. Alas, many Americans have virus fatigue Compliance with social distancing recommendations sank to new lows in October. A fresh study from the COVID States Project documents a notable uptick in risky behavior. For example, the number of Americans who admit that they've been in a room with people from outside their own households in the past 24 hours grew from 26 percent in April to 45 percent in October. The number of people acknowledging that they spent time in a group of between 11 to 100 people in that same time period more than tripled. Luckily, on Capitol Hill, there appears to be some momentum building for some sort of bipartisan stimulus proposal. The devil's always in the details. But Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi spoke yesterday. They also discussed reaching a deal on a spending bill to avert a government shutdown at the end of next week. A growing number of lawmakers are rallying behind that $908 billion bipartisan bill. Up in Delaware, President-elect Joe Biden announced plans to tap Vivek Murthy as Surgeon General. He also announced that he has offered Tony Fauci the role of America's chief medical advisor. Murthy, a former U.S. Surgeon General under Obama, has been asked to reprise that role, but with an expanded portfolio to include a lot related to the coronavirus response. Biden also said last night that he will ask every American on the first day of his presidency to commit to wearing a mask when in public for the first 100 days that he's in office in an effort to slow the spread. As if we didn't have enough problems to worry about, IBM is warning that sophisticated hackers, probably linked to enemy governments, are trying to penetrate our vaccine supply chains, especially what's called the cold chain, which is related to the distribution of the vaccine. The IBM team says the precision targeting of executives and key organizations holds all the harm marks of nation state tradecraft. The hackers have taken measures to hide their tracks. And the team suggests that the intruders are trying to steal information, glean details about technology or contracts, create confusion and distrust, or possibly most alarmingly, disrupt vaccine distribution in America. The U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency last night alerted organizations involved in the storage and transport of the vaccines to be on the lookout for more aggressive phishing operations. It's unclear whether any of the attacks succeeded. This summer, hackers linked to a Russian intelligence service were caught red-handed trying to steal from our researchers working to produce coronavirus vaccines, not just here, but also in Britain and Canada. Those hackers who belong to the unit known variously as APT-29, The Dukes, or Cozy Bear, were targeting vaccine research and development. This is one of the two Russian spy units that penetrated Democratic Party computers in the lead up to the 2016 election. And Microsoft last month reported, quote, mostly unsuccessful attempts by state-backed Russian and North Korean hackers to steal data from our pharmaceutical companies and vaccine developers. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar as the week comes to an end. Number one, the final draft of the bicameral, bipartisan-approved defense authorization bill contains a number of rebukes of President Trump's actions as commander-in-chief, in in addition to defying him over both of the grounds on which he has threatened to veto the legislation. It's possible that there are going to be veto-proof majorities in both the House and the Senate to get this across the finish line. Topping the list of rebukes is a prohibition on reducing the number of U.S. troops stationed in Germany and South Korea, unless Congress receives certain guarantees that it is strategically safe and lawmakers are given ample time to consider the drawdown. The Prescription Against Troop Movements was written in response to Trump's summer announcement that he planned to move 12,000 of our troops out of Germany. Earlier this week, Trump tweeted that he would scuttle the entire defense bill if it did not include a repeal of unrelated liability protections for technology companies he's angry at. The final bill does not mention that Section 230 law regarding Silicon Valley. It also instructs the Defense Department to change, within three years, the names of 10 military bases named for Confederate officers who betrayed our country and took up arms against the Union to preserve slavery. Trump has threatened to veto the bill if it includes that provision. Our Karun Demirgian spent all night going through the 4,500-page bill. She flagged several other provisions that GOP lawmakers agreed to to ensure that no future president can pull some of what Trump has. The bill directs the president within 30 days to impose sanctions against Turkey for its purchase of S-400 missile systems from Russia. That's a reflection of how Republicans and Democrats have been frustrated by Trump's refusal to address Ankara's challenge to NATO and cozying up to Vladimir Putin. The bill also orders the defense secretary to submit an annual report about any Russian-sponsored bounties for attacks against U.S. military personnel. Trump has refused to take action against Russia over what they've been doing in Afghanistan. The bill also takes indirect issue with the president's statements about force deployments in Syria. A provision in the law insists that the Pentagon certify that no U.S. forces are being used or have been used for the extraction, transport, transfer or sale of oil from Syria. Trump told reporters recently that the only reason he was leaving U.S. troops in Syria after saying he was going to withdraw them was, quote, only for the oil. The bill contains several repudiations of Trump's use of the military on the home front as well. It limits the amount of military construction funding that can be diverted to domestic projects via a national emergency order to only $100 million, a far cry from the $3.6 billion that Trump diverted for his wall project last year. The bill also demands that federal law enforcement officers and members of the armed forces and National Guard visibly display the name of their agency and their own name whenever participating in responses to civil disturbances. That was a big issue during the June protests. The bill also prohibits the Pentagon from transferring a host of weapons of war to state and local law enforcement. Also, a response to complaints about the over-militarization of our police forces. Finally, the bill does not include something that Trump badly wanted. Trump had sought $10 million that the Senate previously approved to conduct a nuclear test explosion. Trump wanted to revive the practice, which has been banned for 60 years. Republicans and Democrats refused to go along. Number two, speaking of the border wall, things are getting hairy down at the southern border. An Arizona rancher says construction crews have detonated explosives that sent car-sized boulders tumbling onto his private property. Municipal water officials in El Paso deployed dump trucks to block wall builders from cutting off their only road to a vital canal along the Rio Grande. And landowners in Laredo are urging elected officials to pressure the incoming Biden administration to make clear that their private property will be safe from construction crews eager to finish the job. Maria Sacchetti reports that these and other feuds demonstrate the impact that Trump's final race to expand his $15 billion border wall is having on a region that has been the focal point of his four-year term. Biden has pledged to stop construction immediately upon taking office, but there are some logistical challenges to that, including that construction contracts have been awarded. Federal officials say Trump has built 415 miles of new barriers, and they expect to reach 450 miles by the end of the year. They're working at a breakneck pace. Critics say the wall is a political boondoggle and complain that Donald Trump is trampling on landowners' rights and cutting corners to do it. Number three. Chris Kennedy and his four-year-old daughter, Emily, adorned their front lawn in North Little Rock, Arkansas with Christmas decorations, as they do every year. They strung twinkly white lights along the rim of their home and stationed an inflatable Christmas tree and a towering black Santa on the lawn next to a colorful illuminated sign that reads joy. The spirited display, which the Kennedys have showcased for the last few holiday seasons, had only been met with cheer in their neighborhood of Lakewood. But that changed on November 23rd when the 33-year-old dad checked his mailbox and was stunned to find an anonymous racist letter attacking the seven-foot black Santa on his lawn. The letter demanded that Chris, who's black, remove his, quote, Negro Santa Claus. It said it's wrong to try to, quote, deceive children into believing that Santa is a Negro. Again, the words of the letter. The letter concluded, obviously your values are not those of the Lakewood area, and maybe you should move to a neighborhood out east with the rest of your kind. The letter included an image of a white Santa Claus with two thumbs pointing down. Chris was horrified. His wife wondered whether they had made a mistake moving into the overwhelmingly white neighborhood. Shortly after receiving the hateful message, she posted it on Facebook. The head of the homeowners association came to the house to condemn the incident and assure the family that they are valued members of the community. Other white neighbors expressed how eye-opening it was to see this type of ugliness expressed toward a black family that's done nothing wrong. Sidney Page reports that as more neighbors heard about the letter, they rallied in solidarity. Slowly but surely, black Santas began popping up one by one on many of the lawns of Lakewood. Chip Welch, 70, was one of the first. He said the racist letter is the real war on Christmas. Across the street, Will and Paula Jones stationed a black Santa on their front lawn, too. So many neighbors have ordered Black Santas now that local retailers are running out. Having an elaborate Christmas display has been a longstanding tradition for Chris, dating back to his childhood years when he'd decorate with his father. But then his dad died on Thanksgiving in 2004, and ever since, Chris has always made sure to go big every year on Thanksgiving, decorating in his father's memory. In the years to come... When the Kennedy family inflates their black Santa in Lakewood, it will take on even more meaning. There's nothing wrong with America that can't be fixed by what's right with America. And that's The Daily 202 for Friday, December 4th. Thanks for listening. Our show is produced by Ariel Plotnick. Our theme music is by Ted Muldoon. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you on Monday.